0: Well, good morning. good morning. This morning you have an octogenarian speaking to you. You said, "I don't even know what that is." Well, maybe the word dinosaur <laughs> would help you. You ever heard of the phrase "a little old man"? I like to think of maybe a, a wise sage or a, a mature saint. Uh, we've had a lot of opportunity to minister over the years, and we were happy when Pastor Glenn asked us to uh, preach for him a while back, because this is his weekend to celebrate his wedding anniversary, as well as have his annual heart checkup down in Philadelphia. And the report came back that his heart is great, and uh, got many more years of life, Lord willing, uh, in him. So uh, we we are honored to, uh, to be here and to be able to speak. we We've been a member of this church uh, only nine months, but really, 53 years ago, when we moved here to attend our senior year at Baptist Bible Seminary, this church was started, it was called the Heritage Baptist Church, and we attended, so I feel like, well, I've been a member for, you know, in absentia for uh, <laughs> this many years, and uh, we praise the Lord for this church. and. That we felt the Lord led us here, and they ask us to become involved with the seniors. Uh, on the on the attendance roll or on the database, there are a hundred individuals that are 65 and older, and uh, we have the privilege to be able to minister to them. We've, in fact, our last uh, eight years of ministry out in Elyria, Ohio, at First Baptist was uh, part time just with the seniors. We had about over 200. Uh, in that group and uh, we, we just love them and uh, enjoy luncheons and trips and interacting with them and we praise the Lord that we're able to have six luncheons so far and two trips and we planning on some more and hopefully that uh, we'll be able to enjoy the ministry with them. There's a lot of things going on in the news lately. I'm thinking especially about uh, the invasion of Russia in Ukraine. I think we all... Our heart aches for those people. And and uh, sometimes when you think about invasion of another country into another country, like even our own country, America, you know, what do we do? We just sent $40 billion. Do we send them airplanes or that would maybe set off World War III or uh, how do we help? You know, it's even among our politicians, you listen to any kind of uh, news on the television some think this is what we ought to do, and some say, no, we shouldn't do that. And uh, it's sort of, a, sort of a sad thing and a very um, uh, discouraging time to see another country invade. I have no idea, and you, neither do you, know what God's purpose is in all of that. He has a purpose, and uh, although we can get uptight and discouraged, we got to keep trusting the Lord. He's in, he's in control, and maybe 100 years from now, in glory, we'll look back, oh, I see it all, you know, why, why that all happens. But uh, I, I want to take you back to another country that invaded uh, the land of Israel. And uh, that's where we're going to study today. Uh, we are familiar with some very tragic dates in our country. For example, if I say September 11th, 2001, you know, probably even those that weren't born then know what happened how we were invaded uh, while Al-Qaeda captured two of our planes and flew them into the Twin Towers and how they collapsed and thousands of people were killed. We'll never forget that date. And then for us older people, uh, we, have, um, we have December seventh, 1941. And uh, if you weren't old enough and then we read about how we were invaded by Japan, how they bombed us uh, in um, in uh, Pearl Harbor out there in Hawaii. Now I want to go back even farther than that. You might not be familiar with this date, but we should be familiar with this date because God had a purpose for this invasion, and it was on July 18th. Different ones who know the calendar and times have figured it out. It was July 18th. We're going way back in time now. Before Christ, isn't it interesting the importance of Christ? All time is decided by when he was born. Time before he was born, called B.C., and we live now in what we call A.D. And, uh, but before Christ was born, on July 18, 586 B.C., there was an invasion, not by, a, not by a country north of Israel, but east of Israel called Babylon. Now, I don't know what you think of Russia, I, probably none of us have very pleasant, uh, pleasant uh, thoughts of of Putin and and what he's doing, and how vicious he's done, and how many innocent lives have been killed. We've been watching it on television. Well, think of the Babylonians are just as bad as the Russians. They were barbaric people. They 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 weren't very, you know, uh, cordial. They invade people and they would torture them. They would kill them. They would take him into captivity, and God is going to use that wicked nation to punish his people. (laughs) Habakkuk said, you read Habakkuk like, what, God, what are you doing? How can you do that, you know? Uh, But God uses the Babylonians. Now, they are responsible for their evil and what they did to the Israelites back in 586 B.C., but on July 18th, the, the siege finally ended, and they invaded Israel and they were taken off into captivity most of them now God has a purpose the reason he allowed that to happen the reason he orchestrated that is because God's chosen people over the years did not listen to him did not listen to his word and over and over they disobey God that they become just like the unsaved world and God said enough is enough I'm going to punish you and here is your punishment I'm going to take all your people into captivity, into the into, into land of Babylon. They're going to come and invade you, and I'm going to bring this about. And prior to that, he sent a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Now, we aren't going to study about Jeremiah uh, himself. We're going to study about an individual that helped Jeremiah. But Jeremiah was the, was the, the spokesman for God. It's sort of like uh, we think of Billy Graham and his son Franklin Graham, When he speaks, he sort of represents you in all Christianity. And Jeremiah was representing God and he was speaking to the Israelites and his message was not what they wanted to hear. He's saying, surrender, go into captivity, don't fight the enemy. Well, that sounds like treason. And so didn't the political leaders of Judah at that time. They didn't like Jeremiah one bit. And so I'm gonna pick up the story In Jeremiah chapter 38, and we're going to read that Jeremiah 38 verses 1 through um, through uh, 15 here, and through 13, and then um, we'll we'll study about the individual that is listed here. So allow me to uh, to read uh, this passage uh, as we get going in our in our thoughts. Uh, there were four individuals, maybe they like the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Homeland Security. There were four men listed here. I wish their name was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. would have been a lot easier to, to read, but uh, we we start with some Very important officials that were really leading the king. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> we have a president, but we, we all wonder, like, who's really leading him, you know? And you'll find, I'm not, my goal is not to equate Zedekiah with President Biden, but you might see some similarities there as we, as we study. Zedekiah was spineless, weak, not any kind of a leader. He was the last king of Judah, and he's going to go into captivity because God's people have disobeyed him. So let's start reading in verse uh, chapter 38, if you found your place now. Uh, Zephathatiah the son of Matan, that was the first guy. Gedaliah was the second leader, the son of Pashur. Jehuchal, the son of Shalamiah, was the third individual. And Pashur, he was the son of Melchizedek, heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said. And this is what Jeremiah said. Take note, Jeremiah is only preaching what God's word said. I want to preach only what God's word said. A good pastor will always preach what God's word said. And uh, Jeremiah was just repeating what God said he was going to do. So don't blame the messenger, you know. But they took it out on the messenger. And this is what he said. This is what the Lord said. Whoever stays in this city, Jerusalem, will die by the sword and famine and plague. Back in those days, when an army would invade another country, they didn't do like Russia's doing, bombing them with, you know, missiles and all that. Uh, They would just siege they would sit outside the gate, let no one in, no one out, no food, no water. If anybody gets sick, they, they spread the disease. So many times after a year or two of sieging the city, the people inside just died. They starved. They, they surrendered, you know, but they didn't do it in a day. It would take many, many years sometime for these armies to capture a walled city like Jerusalem. So whoever stayed in the city would die by the sword and famine and plague, but this is what Jeremiah said. Whoever goes out to the Babylonians will live. So he said, just surrender. <laughs> he will escape with his life. He will live. This is what the Lord said. The city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of the Babylonians who were captured. That's God's purpose. That's God's will. Jeremiah was just preaching that. And the people in, in Israelite did not like Jeremiah one bit. Then the officials, these four men in verse 1, Said to the king, Zedekiah, this man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city, as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of this people, but their ruin." All right, then King Zedekiah. Oh, he's in your hands, the king, Zedekiah said. The king can do nothing to oppose you. Well, he could, but he wouldn't or didn't know how or whatever. You'll see a little bit later how vacillating he is does this then he does this he's he's not a leader he's a weak king near the end of uh, judah reign before they go into captivity so anyway they got they got permission from the leader top uh to to deal with jeremiah to kill him that's their goal they're going to kill him kill his voice then our soldiers won't get discouraged and the people listening won't won't surrender because we got to fight we're going to go against what jeremiah said we don't believe what god is saying so they took Jeremiah. Now he was already a prisoner. Uh, you can his interesting message and all the opposition he's experienced. We can all praise God. I've been a pastor for over 50 years. I thank God I didn't I didn't have to go through what Jeremiah went through because he preached the word of God. So they took Jeremiah, put him into the cistern. I think if you have a King James, it talks about a dungeon. It's a cistern. It's a well. It's where the water was collected. We don't know how deep it is, but it was deep enough that you lowered a guy down there in the rope. Uh, it, was, it was dry. They were going through some hard time, and it was just at the bottom, maybe a foot of mud or three feet of mud. We don't know how much there was. So they took Jeremiah, put him in the system of Melchizedek, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. That's where he was kept as a prisoner, well, now they're going to make it really hard on him. They're going to put him in this well, lower him in the rope, left there to die. So they lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud, up to his ankles, up to his knees. We don't know, but uh, it wasn't a pretty picture, uh, maybe 15, 20 feet down. But here's our character that we want to study. His name is Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech, we'll talk about him a little bit later. He was a Cushite, or we might, in some translation, an Ethiopian. He was an official in the king's court. He was not a Jew. He was not an Israelite. He was a Gentile. And uh, he just appears in Scripture. Here is Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. While the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, in the Bible times, uh, we have the Oval Office in the White House, where a lot of the business is taken care of. They had the gates; that was the Oval Office. You go to Israel; they'll show you the gates, where all the official business was done. And as you go into the gate, the gate had a, a, a an area where the king would rule, and there would do official uh, business. And and uh, the king was there, apparently signing, uh, you know, uh, bills. So. Uh, he can impose on his people, and so uh, this man, this Cushite, this African man, uh, went into the went into the king sitting in the Benjamin Gate. Ebed Melech went out of the palace and said to him, "My lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death, where there is no longer any bread in the city. What little bread they had, you you." know for sure they ain't going to throw any down to Jeremiah in the pit. Then the king commanded, you, you know, we just read two minutes ago how he said, I can't do anything, do whatever you want. So here's a man that goes to the king and the king commanded uh, Ebed-Melech the Cushite, take 30 men from with, here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So they're going to go rescue him. So Ebed-Melech took the 30 men with him went into a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn-out clothes from there and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah and the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, put these old rags and worn-out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. So Jeremiah did so, and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. They rescued him. And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. Still is a prisoner, but at least he's out of that pit. At least he's out of that cistern. Now, let me, uh, let me just sh- sh- give you a, what I call a reader's digest of the rest of the chapter 38 and 39. After Jeremiah came out, Zedekiah said, tell Jeremiah I want to talk with him. He Private. This was all secret. No one was to know. No one, he didn't want anybody to know that he was talking to Jeremiah. So in in secrecy, he brings Jeremiah in and said, Jeremiah, you know, tell me what's going on. Jeremiah said, yeah, I'll tell you. You're going to kill me. No, no, I won't kill you. Well, you won't listen to me. Now, the king never said I won't listen to you, but Jeremiah went over the whole thing one-on-one with the king, basically saying God is punishing you because you disobeyed. It's better that you surrender instead of resisting because if you resist, you're going to be killed, your, your, your home will be burnt, your city will be destroyed. Just surrender and go peacefully. Well, Jeremiah told him that and left. And uh, Zedekiah said, now, if anybody questions you, don't, don't tell them really what happened. And then uh, chapter 39, the siege begin. It takes about two years for the Babylonian to bring all of their armies in camped around the wall city, just going to wait them out. No food going in, probably no water. If anybody gets sick, they can't run out to the hospital. (laughs) Uh, In a while, in about two years, they were able to penetrate the the wall and and get inside. Well, Zedekiah in 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 the dark of the night with his army got out through a secret passage, head toward the plains of Jericho, only for the army of Babylon to catch up with them. And when they catch up with them, they take him to, uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians in the land of Ripla in that valley. And this uh, is this is what, this is what uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did. He brought all of the sons of Zedekiah, think of your own kids, and he killed them all in front of, in front of Zedekiah. And he took all the royal nobles, probably some of these guys that that resisted Jeremiah and had them all killed. And then he took knives and gorged out the eyes of Zedekiah, uh, put them in bronze shackles and took them off to Babylon. And then the army went back to Jerusalem and burned the palace, burned all the home, tore down all the walls, destroyed Jerusalem, only left a few people that had nothing and gave them vineyards and, and uh, fields. I mean, they felt like they're gonna be loyal to Nebuchadnezzar, because they gave him you know, all the, whatever was left of, of the land of Judah. And all the people ended up into captivity. Now, God, Nebuchadnezzar, always keeps care of his own. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked king, told his army, Whatever Jeremiah, don't harm Jeremiah. Whatever he asks to you, you do it. And so they were kind to Jeremiah, brought him out of the guard, uh, let him go into his own people. A uh, governor by the name of Jedediah was appointed. And uh, so Jeremiah lived in the lane. Now that's the Reader Digest of chapter 38 and 39. What we need to know is everything that Jeremiah prophesied and predicted came true right down to the exact letter because God said this is what would happen if they only would have surrendered and listened to God their homes wouldn't be burned they would just go into captivity they would uh, they would have been alive they wouldn't the king wouldn't have died his kids wouldn't die uh, all of the ugly things that happened wouldn't happen but they wouldn't listen and so God took him into into that area for 70 years in the, in the land of Babylon, the, the Israelites were not in their land. Now, let's go back and look in detail. And I want to share with you the message this morning. Is this man, Ebed-Melech, and how God used him as a servant of the king uh, to be able to uh, effectively serve uh, the Lord. And so we want to look at what I call, I have... Uh, six basic qualities if we're going to serve the Lord that we need to consider is this true in my life and if I'm going to be an effective servant of the Lord if I'm going to be an Ebed Melech in my modern day life <laughs> in the day in which we live here here's some things we need to think about as we study the life of Ebed Melech number one uh, he was a converted person he was a converted person now, I gave you the Reader Digest, but I want you to go to uh, chapter 39, and I'm just going to look at the, we'll come back to this uh, passage, but chapter 39 of Jeremiah, and look down to the, to the last verse where God is speaking to Ebed Melek, Jeremiah is, is sharing with him how God's going to protect him, and the, because he was, he was a believer, he was a converted person, He said, I will save you. You will not fall by the sword. This was, of course, before all this took place. But you will escape with your life. Why? Because you trust in me, declared the Lord. Isn't it sad? You think the Jewish people would be the one that shine bright and love the Lord and love God. Here is a Gentile person who's not an Israelite but heard the word of God, heard Jeremiah, and, and accepted the truth of God's word, and was a believer, was a converted one who trusted in God. It wasn't an Israelite. It was, it was a Gentile person. Uh, his name, the two words that make up his name, when we think of Ebed is the Hebrew word for servant, and Melak, of course, is the word for king, and so he was a servant of the king. And what I'd like to do this morning is just to remind ourselves, if you are a converted person, if you are a saved person, one of the greatest blessings we can be is a servant of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope as this servant was a servant of a king, Zedekiah, his name means a servant of the king, and you and I would be totally committed as a servant of the king, the Lord of Lord and so he was serving the king, an important position. The Jews were in denial, living in a days of apostasy. They have rejected God's word. Jeremiah was, I guess, to them, was preaching doom, because he talking about defeat. They thought that was treason, but Jeremiah was just preaching forth the word of God. But here is a here is a man, you know, that 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 is living in an ungodly world. I don't have to remind you, we're living in an ungodly world. (laughs) Can it get worse? I guess so. (laughs) You know, the perversion and all that's taken place. uh, But just like Ebed-Melech lived a godly life, a dedicated life for God, even though a lot of other Jewish people were not, he determined he was, and he was used of God. He was a converted person. It's difficult, but it's possible to live godly in an ungodly world. I guess my question is, before we go to point number two uh, this morning, are you converted? Are you a believer in Christ? You got to start there. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you got to be converted if you're ever going to be a servant of God. Tomorrow I have uh, the honor, I think it is, of doing a funeral up at one of my churches in Newark Valley. And uh, we'll be uh, officiating at the service of a guy by the name of Ed Campbell. Let me just share a little bit about the conversion of Ed Campbell, who was a deacon in my church and a Sunday school teacher and used of God. Before he was saved, he, he didn't get saved till he was 38 years old. Up to that point, he was, he was, um, he was a drunkard. He always drank till he couldn't drink anymore. His marriage was about ready to fall apart. He was gonna divorce his wife. He had four children. But um, there, he worked at a company called IBM in Owego, New York. And there were several engineers and managers that lived in Newark Valley that said, let's carpool. That was before, that was, even though gas was only a dollar a gallon back then, they thought, they're gonna, <laughs> they thought they would save some money by carpooling together. And uh, they recommended they meet at the parking lot of First Baptist Church, where I pastored. And uh, uh, Ed Campbell, totally lost, uh, was part of that carpool. He probably never realized, even though he parked in the First Baptist Church park, he had no clue that the four guys he's gonna ride with are all born-again Baptists. (laughs) And as they go back and forth to work, week after week, month after month, they debate the Bible. These guys were very outright, and they talked about evolution, all the kind of thing, and Ed always debated them. He was always against them. He, he, he couldn't believe the way they believed. So little by little, they began debating him. Uh, he began debating them. Whatever view, whatever, whatever they talked about, he was against it. And they said, well, Ed, have you ever read the Bible? You ought to, you ought to study the Bible. So Ed said, well, I'll do that. And you know what's going to happen. He studied the Bible. <laughs> and one day, uh, one Sunday morning, he's about ready to divorce his wife. Uh, he gets all, back in those days, I'm old school. I always wear a shirt and tie when I preach. I guess it makes me preach better, maybe not. <laughs> but in, the, in, the, in IBM day, everybody wore a white shirt. And you, you get dressed up and you went to work as an engineer. And uh, so on Sunday morning, he gets all dressed up like he's going to go to work. And the kid said, where's dad going? Mom and dad are not talking. I don't know where he's going. Well, he goes to church. These guys convince him that what he needs to hear is, is what the pastor said. He goes to church this Sunday, gets saved that Sunday, comes home, quits drinking, quits smoking. The kid saw such a radical change in his conversion that next Sunday, the whole family goes. And that becomes a, a radical believer in Christ. I mean, his life just totally changed, like the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Ed got converted, and Ed became a servant of God. Ed studied the Greek Bible, and he became a great teacher. He never went to Bible scholar. never went to Bible college, but he became an adult teacher. When I was sitting in his class, I was always amazed at the depth of the knowledge they had of the Word of God. He just saturated himself in the Word of God. He became a great servant of God, but if he never got converted... When he was 38 years old, he would never become a great Sunday school teacher or youth leader or dedicated person, one that loved God greatly, one that influenced people. It all starts with a conversion. Abed Malik got converted. Can you talk about your conversion? It might not be radical like Ed, but there got to be a time when you were saved when you converted. It begins there, and that's where that's where it starts if we're going to be a servant of the king. The second quality is that he was a concerned person or a caring person. He, 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 was a, he was concerned about people. Now, it wasn't email. It wasn't in the newspaper. How did he hear about Jeremiah in the pit? He, he, was, he was conscious of what was going on. He was concerned about his country, about, about where he lived in the king. I'm sure you heard the the thing about people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Are we a concerned person? Do we think of others? Or are we always thinking about ourselves and what we can get out of it and the problems I have? Uh, we, we need to be concerned. Jeremiah or ibed Melik was concerned enough to know that Jeremiah was in trouble and he needed to he needed help. Here's some things about that, under that point, a few things about his concern. He, he was attentive. He, he knew what was going on. Uh, we need to be aware what's going on in the world and how to pray and what to do. Uh, he acted immediately. I like this. He could have said, I can't do anything. I, I, you know, what can I do? The king just ordered this guy to be put, maybe just minutes before or who knows how long, He said he he just got the orders to do that. The king won't listen to me. He could have talked like that, but he didn't. He he responded immediately. It's interesting, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark tells a story about the Lord Jesus Christ from the perspective that Mark was a servant. There's no genealogy in the book of Mark because who cares about the genealogy of a servant? But I thought it was interesting that when you read the book of Mark, there's some words like, Jesus immediately, straightway. A servant responds immediately. God wants us in our concern to be, to be involved and not to put it off, not to procrastinate, but to be immediately respond and do something. Get at it and uh, serve the Lord, a true servant. So he didn't talk himself out of it. Uh, someone said the, the word concern, the definition is something that interests you because it is important or affect you. Sometimes... We have a lot of interest in other things that affect us, but how we need to be concerned about others and how they could be affected. Uh, he, he was a faithful uh, servant because he was a concerned person. He was, he was a caring person. He was interested in the needs of others. And a good, faithful servant got to be concerned about others, not just themselves. The third quality that we have here is he was a committed, a committed person. I did not show up for work day yesterday because we had a funeral, a family funeral up in Elmira, but I did sign up. Now, this is the way not to do it. (laughs) I was the last person to sign up on the list. (laughs) I kept thinking, do I really want to work? You know, I am 81 years old, and I don't want to go out there and do mulching and mowing and different things. No, I better sign up. I want to be a good example. Well, the Lord got me out of it, so I had to go to a (laughs) funeral, (laughs) so. If you are a committed person, should you be the last person to sign up on the worksheet or the first person to sign up on the worksheet? A lot of people say, well, I'll come out, but I'm only going to see who else does it, you know? Well, if you're a committed person, you commit yourself right up front. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to work at the church. I'm going to... Do whatever needs to be done in the local church and be among the first person to get involved. Do you think uh, <clears throat> Ebed-Melech was afraid? Sometimes we, we look at these Bible characters and we make them as super giants, like they don't have any emotions. They just serve God. Well, we know, and I'll read a, ver- a couple of verses later, we know that uh, he, he was afraid. All right, he's going to take Jeremiah out of the pit. What do you think the other four guys who got him to put in the pit, what do you think they're going to do to Ibat-Milek? They aren't going to be happy. They're going to go after him. So, sometimes we don't do things because, well, it's risky. It takes too much of my time. Well, if we commit it, we are totally committed to that. We don't think about the risk and the danger and the energy and all that. We are committed to God. We're going to serve the Lord. He was committed person. I remember a little ditty years ago. I think it goes something like this. Because sometimes you know, when I graduated from uh, Baptist Bible Seminary, I was convinced I was going to have one sermon that changed the whole world. I mean, I was going to preach one message that is just going to impact the whole world. I mean, it's going to be the greatest message anybody could ever have. Well, it never happened. You know? (laughs) And many of my churches never Never doubled or tripled or whatever, you know. But you know what I found out? Every individual ought to be committed to serving the God in his own limits and his own personality and do what God wants to do. The little ditty says something like this. I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do, and by the grace of God, I will do. That's commitment. Yeah, you're only one yeah and maybe no one knows what you did yesterday, raking or working it, but you did what God wanted you to do, and that's the 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 area of being committed, working and doing that one thing, being committed to it. maybe no one else knows, but God keeps track of all those things. I remember an illustration I don't think it's a true story, but <clears throat> there was a major storm on the ocean, and it uh washed up on the shore just. Uh, millions of, I don't know, some kind of fish, starfish or whatever. And, of course, the water went back, and all of the little creatures there on the shore, if they came back in the water, they're all going to die. And an older man was looking from a distance and saw on that shore a little boy, like an eight-year-old boy, walking up the shore and bending down every once in a while, picking up a fish, throwing it back into the water. He kept doing that. I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of fish. But this one little boy was out there trying to rescue these fish. He threw them back into the water. Finally, the old man came to the little kid. He said, hey, what are you doing? And the little boy said, I'm saving all these fishes. And the guy said, you can't save all those fish. Look at all of them. The little boy reached down one more time, picked up one boar, and he said, I saved that one. <laughs> you know, sometimes our commitment, we don't want to just do the one little thing in, in, in the ministry of God or in our life. That, that can mean a, a significant thing to one little fish. So commitment uh, is a quality that if that's needed if you're going to be a servant of the king. Ebed-Melech was a committed believer, a Gentile African person in the days of apostasy, living God, taking risks, taking chances, believing God, and God, uh, God used him. Now, <clears throat> the fourth characteristic that i like to share with you is that he was a commissioned person Matthew 28 we talk about missionaries come talk about the great commission our church is commissioned to make disciples and baptize and teaching in the word of God uh, from time to time we have a missionary that, that come up from our church or, and we're going to send them out And before they go into this particular field we bring them in and we commission them we commission them to go to Thailand, whatever it might be, and preach the gospel and live among the people and share their faith. We commission them the go to do that. You ever thought about God commissioning you to do something to one individual? Now, I'd like to have you turn to Lamentation. Lamentation. Uh, Lamentation chapter... <clears throat> chapter 3. Lamentation chapter 3. Uh, Lamentation was also... I believe, written by Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, lamenting, lamenting, crying, weeping over over the sins of Israel. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't change. they go into captivity. God punishes them. I wonder how much grief we would spare our lives from time to time if we just do it the way God wants us to do it. But in Lamentation chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 52, I believe that Jeremiah is talking about his experience in the pit. Can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure it is. Beginning at, um, let's see, Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning at verse 52. Let me make sure I got the right verses. Verse 52 of Jeremiah or Lamentation those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They sure did. <clears throat> They tried to end my life in a pit. Are you reading with me? In a citron. They tried to end my life in a pit. They threw stones at me. Now, in Jeremiah 38, doesn't talk about, but apparently different ones went by and tried to do them in, throwing stones. You can imagine him trying to evade that. They, 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 they threw stones at me. Water closed over my head, and I thought I was about to be cut off. He, he, he thought he was He thought he was dead. What would you do if you were in a pit? Pray. (laughs) Jonah, he was in the belly of the fish. He prayed. Jeremiah is down in this pit. Well, sure he prayed. We all do that when we're in the pit, when we're in trouble. So he said, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit. That's where he was, in the cistern. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear, O Lord. You took up my case. You redeemed my life. And it goes on to say that he was rescued from the pit. How did, how did if you didn't read Jeremiah chapter 38, how did God do that? He prayed, God rescued him. He thanked God in lamentation that that was true. The point I want you to make is that, that uh, God used a man by the name of Ebet Melik, a servant of the king, doing his job to rescue Jeremiah out of the pit. You ever thought about you being an answer to someone's prayer? Years ago, we, we wanted to start a church in Chester, New York. And uh, we would take van loads down And uh, spend Saturday knocking on doors, passing out literature. We're going to start a church. And uh, I remember I and someone else, we were knocking on doors in this community where we want to start this Baptist church. And a guy came. No, he said, come in. He didn't come to the door. He said, come in. It was a guy in a wheelchair. And we told him, you know, we were visiting in the air. We want to start a, a Baptist church. And we want to invite you to be part of it. And this is what he said in essence. He said to me, you are an answer to my prayer. I've been praying for years that God would send someone here to start a church in my community. And we did start a church, and he did come. Well, I tell you, that was exciting. Now, God didn't commission me with an audible voice. You get in your van, and you go down to Chester, and you go down this street, and such and such. No, I was just serving the Lord. We were just out doing ministry. But I was commissioned by God to go to that door and answer the prayer of a man that had been praying as a Christian that someone would start a Baptist church to help him to get because he couldn't get because he was wheelchair bound. God used me to, you know, do that. God used Abed Melick to get Jeremiah out of the pit. So think of yourself as a commission. Are you a commission person? Just some side thoughts. Sometimes we don't have a concern about people that are in the pit. Just some side thoughts. One day you're going to find yourself in a pit. And you'll be happy that someone is concerned enough and committed enough and commissioned enough to go help you out. I don't care how godly you might be. You can't get any godlier than a man by the name of Jeremiah. He had his time in the pit. We're all going to take our time in the pit, in the, in, the, in the discouraging time, and you'll be thankful that someone would come and, 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 and rescue him. He, he didn't say, Jeremiah, you preached too strong. If you just gave in a little bit, you wouldn't have been in the mess you in. No, he didn't preach to him. He didn't ball him out. He just went to rescue him, and so he was a commissioned person. When I read this passage in Jeremiah years ago, I was intrigued by, I mean, did that intrigue you? He goes down into the cellar of the palace and he gets some old rags and worn out clothes, go down in your basement. and, and he, To me, that shows compassion. He was a compassionate person. Yeah, we, we need a little heart. Sometimes men, we can be no tears shed, all matter of fact. Uh, but, you know, we need to show some some tenderness and some compassion. And uh, he did that. He, he didn't want to hurt Jeremiah any more than he w- had to. He's stuck in the mud. There's 30 men. You throw the rope down. You could, you know, he could have said, hey, Jeremiah, here's the rope. Blop it down the head and hit him in the head and uh, put it on your arm, get rope burns and, you know, wreck his butt. He's stuck in the mud. 30 guys are, are trying to get him out. He wanted to be his Cautious and compassionate as he can. Jeremiah, I'm going to lower these rags down, put them under your armpit, then put the rope under that because when we pull you up, it's really going to hurt and I don't want to hurt you any more than we can. That's compassion. One of the, one of the great things about when, Jesus, when God began to reveal himself, we, he, he talks about I'm a merciful God. I'm a compassionate God. God wants us to be compassionate and tender and just remember Someday you'll be in the pit, and you'll be glad that someone fills some soft rags down to help you out. If I were to give a title to this, I thought, you know, sometimes churches like ours, I grew up, uh, you know, I guess you'd call it hardcore Baptists, and, and we are fundamentalists, and this is what we believe, and we, we sound it. You know, I call this my soft rags theology, you know. Yeah, we, 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 we hold the line. We pastor preached a tough message last last Sunday and we, we try to hold the truth. But that doesn't mean we can't be compassionate as we try to rescue people out of their sin, out of their way of God. Those four men that rescued Ed from a marriage, from divorce and from drinking and all of that, was compassionate, they loved him. They, they didn't argue and they just, this is what the Bible says, check it out Ed. You know, we need to show compassion. Now one final thing, i like to go to chapter 39 and read these verses. The sixth quality, he was a compensated person. Does it pay to serve the Lord? It sure does. God took care of Jeremiah. He told wicked Nebuchadnezzar, you don't hurt him, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't. He told his men, don't hurt Jeremiah. And uh, then Jeremiah, uh, God told Jeremiah, and I'm going to begin Jeremiah 39, beginning at verse 15. While Jeremiah had been confined, Jeremiah 39, verse 15. When, while Jeremiah was being confined in the of the other guard, the word of the Lord came to him. Go and tell Ebed-Melech, the Cushite. This is before the, the town was destroyed. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, said. I'm about to fulfill my words against this city through disaster, not prosperity, at that time, they will be fulfilled before my eyes. The very word of God is going to come to fulfillment. But I will rescue you <laughs> on that day. He's talking to Ebed-Milk. Declare the Lord. You will not be handed over to those you fear. I will save you. You will not fall by the sword, but will escape with your life because you trust in me, declare the Lord. God took care of him. God compensated for him. He, he spared... You know, Jeremiah's life, God's going to spare his life. And uh, the verse makes it very clear. Uh, God compensates us uh, in the invasion by the Babylonian. No harm is going to come to this unique servant of the king. God takes care of his servant, and he he will you. There'll be some things that are, are dangerous for us to do, but God will watch over you. God will reward you. God will bless you. When you get to heaven, you'll say, Well done, a <laughs> good and faithful servant. Let me wrap it up this way. I call it three closing exhortation. Number one, let's continue to be active in serving the Lord. You know, sometimes we think of serving the Lord as being a deacon in a church or a Sunday school teacher or working in babyland or being a maintenance person in the church and that. Think beyond that. Whatever job you have, you should be serving the Lord. Do it with all your might. Satisfy the Lord, and you'll satisfy your boss, even though he might not ever be satisfied. You are serving the Lord. Let's continue to serve the Lord. We, we, we work for people, but we are really, as human beings, Christians, we are serving the Lord in whatever career the Lord might have, you, or whatever ministry you might have in this local church. So that's exhortation one. Let's get... Let's be continuing serving the Lord. Not like you haven't been. Let's be alert to serving the Lord. Second thing, let's be on the lookout to rescue a person uh, from the pit Uh, this week. Think about, am I being commissioned to help this guy or this woman? Spiritually, they've lost. They're on the way to hell. Uh, I can rescue them. I can talk to them. I can help them out of the pit or whatever they're going through. Maybe they just lost a loved one and they really, really discouraged and, and uh, downhearted. Uh, just, just be on your lookout. Be an Abbot Malik trying to rescue a person from. And then my third exhortation is, let's strive to imitate Ebot Malik, a great example of the servant of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about some of the, qual- are you commissioned? Would you be commissioned? Are you compassionate? Uh, truly, are, are you committed in, in serving the Lord that I'm going to be a servant of the king? Father, as we wrap up the message, take the message, the word, the spirit of God to impact all our lives, Lord, we want to serve you, love you. Uh, we, we tell our seniors to finish strong. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. As long as we have breath in our bodies, we can keep on serving the Lord. And help us to be good servants of the King. Help us to be excited about being a servant of the King. Help us this week, Lord, to be conscious to be a servant of the King. For we want to be a servant serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.